Welcome to Phone Booth Fighting, everybody. I'm Richard Hunter. He is Frank Mirror, and together we do this podcast twice weekly for you guys. You can get it uh, via iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play, or at phoneboothfighting.com. If you're on our iTunes page, do us a favor. Give us those five stars in the way of a review. Write a favorable line or two. We like to read those on the air. If you're on our Facebook page, Phone Booth Fighting, click on our Amazon banner. Uh, click through that Amazon banner and then do your Amazon shopping accordingly. No additional cost to you, but it's a great way to support the show. You can also order official show merchandise at phoneboothfightingshop.com. phoneboothfightingshop.com. Also, if you missed our previous episode that is uh the audio from our first live stage show with chill sonnen and his co-host joel we're calling that suspended be sure to go back and listen to that it was a a a rousing success frank uh this past sunday night so much so that chill and i huddled up after the uh the event and agreed that we would be doing a series of these so i committed where was joel uh Oh boy! Because I took off because you know being a dad, sure. got obligations uh, uh, for Monday morning, and so yeah. uh, <laughs> so. Anyways, I had some obligations being a Sunday night. Monday morning came really early. Yeah, I uh, got to get the kids up, get to school, get to the gym. But uh, from what I understand, um, I was only one out of the four that took off. Hey, um, yes. Um, and the two of you, because as I found out in the room, uh, Chael is also a little bit of a teetotaler. I guess it yep. doesn't uh, partake any of the uh, alcohol. Joel did enough drinking for all of us. Here's what I want to do, I, because we need to spend some time on this, okay? okay. And we're we're pressed for time tonight. But so Joel was there. Yeah, let's well, do this. Well, in body, but not in mind. Exactly. Let's <laughs> do this. We're going to uh, focus on UFC 209 on this episode. Uh, we've got an interview with Tyron Woodley. Uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Tony Ferguson. Uh, also, we're going to talk to Eddie Bravo because he's got EBI 11 coming up this weekend on Fight Pass. But uh, on our next episode, Frank, that's when we need to really do the behind-the-scenes post-mortem on uh, our first-ever Kobil uh, suspended live stage show with uh, Chael Sonnen. We'll tell those stories because there's some good stories that actually happened after you uh, headed out. So we'll, uh, we'll recap it. All right. First things first, let's get to Tyron Woodley, uh, the UFC's welterweight champion. And he is uh, defending his title in a most anticipated rematch this Saturday uh, here in Las Vegas against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Frank and I got a chance to visit with Tyron about this rematch. It's phone booth fighting with myself, Richard Hunter, and my co-host, Frank Mir, being joined now by the UFC welterweight champion of the world, Tyron Woodley. He's got a huge fight coming up Saturday night, a rematch title defense against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson here in Las Vegas, UFC 209, seen exclusively on pay-per-view. Tyron, good to talk to you, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Uh, we're doing great and looking forward to seeing this rematch, man. Uh, Frank and I were just talking about the fact that, uh, you know, I want to ask your, your thoughts first on, uh, you know, the, the way with that fight being scored so closely the first time around, do you think that the new rule changes that have been implemented since uh, would have affected the fight in your favor? Because we were both talking about the fact that that first round you had might have been scored a 10-8 round with those new rules. Well, right, yeah, and Frank? I think the fact that now that it's not so much a – fucking looking for a unicorn on how, what a 10-8 round stands for. I don't think with the new rule system, I think it's everybody's mindset that the first and fourth rounds are 10-8 rounds for you. What are your thoughts on that, Tyron? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think the first and the fourth round was definitely rounds where um, you can see the lopsided, you know, lopsided battle that took place. I mean, even in rounds two, three, and five were close rounds. Um, he never w- walked away with any round, to be honest. You know, um, so with that said, I'm not so much thinking about the new rules and, and hoping that that helps me. I'm really thinking about the opportunities within each round that could have capitalized a little bit more and looking to capitalize um, in this next fight. And also in the fight, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Wonderboy is good at the, 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 the point game, picking away, scoring points, moving. But really in the fight, 
both on the ground and both on the feet. The fighter that showed me that he was more capable of finishing the other guy was yourself. I mean, that uh, guillotine was a heartbeat away from putting him to sleep, and your right hand almost knocked him unconscious to begin with. So as far as the most devastating ways to finish a fight, does that bring you much more confidence going into the fight, knowing that, well, he never once put me in danger with a submission, I took his shots, never once was I wobbled, but I dropped him, and I almost put him out with a choke. You know, and more so importantly, you know, um, I did a good job in that fight, but it was still things um, that my coaches and my trainers prepared me for as a part of our game plan that I didn't execute. So with thinking that I still in my mind won the fight without executing those things, if I execute just 50% of what we had in, had in fact, I walk away with the fight pretty easily. So to me, the confidence lies there. And, um, you know, yeah, I never want to get too... You know, too confident, you know, he couldn't land a hook kick or a side kick to my rib or a, round, a lead leg roundhouse kick that after a combination get me caught, slipping with my hands down and kind of rattle me. So I never want to go in there, oh, nothing hurt me, nothing hit me. Right. But also, too, uh, uh, you have a style that, you know, is more common in MMA as far as, you know, phenomenal wrestling background, heavy hands. It isn't like we can't find guys in the gym that obviously they're not – world champion level at how good you you perform that style but we've seen it before where you know a george st pierre but you know he doesn't hit as hard as you do but you know the other guys out there that whereas wonder boy kind of has that thing where it's like it's hard to fight him because no one really fights like him and now the one edge you probably had going into this uh the, the fight the first time was that you probably don't really have that many rounds uh checked off on a guy who moves the way he does and now you have 25 minutes of experience seeing his a game and now you've had months to go ahead and go okay well the coaches asked me to do this and i had a hard time implementing it because it was odd and, and weird what he was moving but now i felt it now i know what i'm training for and that much more better for you to uh to implement it on saturday night well definitely you know um i, I trained um to the best of my ability the last time i was really comfortable as you saw you know, some of the things that he caught other opponents with. Um, I fortunately um, was able to defend those attacks. Um, this time around, I've had more weeks with Raymond Daniels, more weeks with Sage Northcutt, more weeks with Avery Plowden, the current world champion in his weight, um, and also Chris Fang and, and, and a few other guys, Obeya from Orlando. So I've had five or six high-level point fighters, and, and most of those guys are really saying, you know, Steven's a great fighter, but in a world of sport karate, he's not on our level. So that just reassured me when I was able to handle my own against those guys. Tyron, uh, last question. Lastly, for you, uh, I, I think a lot of us in the MMA media were anticipating that Damian Maya could get the winner of this fight Saturday night, and now it's just been announced in the last 24 hours or so that Damian Maya has been booked against Jorge Masvidal just a you know a few days before the welterweight title is defended. You know, Frank and I are sitting here speculating that that is an indication that the winner of your fight with Wonderboy Thompson Saturday night could get uh, George St. Pierre. That maybe that. That fight has already been offered to him, and he's jumped in front of Maya. Uh, do you have a thought about that conspiracy theory? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have a ton of thought about it. You know, it's a crazy, crazy world of mixed martial arts. Things happen, guys get injured. Um, the bosses change their mind. The only thing I can tell you that will happen is me and Wonder Boy will fight Saturday night. I will come out victorious. And every door after that opens up in victory. So it's hard not to, man. I understand why you guys are asking that question. And just from my standpoint, you know, you always kind of want to play your chess game, looking at other opponents and seeing who brings what. But, um, you know, you got a very unique fighter and wonder boy. you got to give him your full attention. Understood. But I think that also uh – uh, and we're going to do it. I know that you don't want to as a fighter myself, but looking past Wonder Boy, uh, I think a fight with George St. Pierre stylistically is a great fight for you. You're the harder hitter, and your wrestling, I think, nullifies each other out. Uh, and I think that's what you would need, I think, at this point, because you're out there and you're successful. You have a phenomenal style. I mean, you ran over uh, Robbie Lawler, just completely trashed a guy that no one does that to. You out there and solve the uh, enigma of Wonder Boy Thompson, and still it seems like you're not getting the credit due that really for somebody that has accomplished what you have is due but maybe that next step is taking out the legend of George St. Pierre he comes back in the system a victory there would solidify that you really are the welterweight number one guy in the world 
yeah, you know, I want to be the GOAT at welterweight. And, um, you know, right now, George is that. And I would never turn on. If, if they told me that freaking I could fight George St. Pierre right now, I would freaking go and apologize to Wonder Boy, and I would freaking do the contract. That's how important that fight is to me, just because it's a legacy fight. Um, but at the end of the day, we know for sure that Wonder Boy is prepared. He's ready. I'm prepared. I'm ready. Let's get this fight out of the way. And then, you know, in victory, I have the biggest stage to make my case on, on why I should be fighting George. Tyron Woodley headlines UFC 209 Saturday night, defending his welterweight title. Tyron, thanks for the time, man, and good luck in there Saturday night. Thank you. So what do you think there, Frank? I mean, you and I talked about what we thought uh, Tyron, you know, did wrong coming out of the first fight. Um, maybe the fact that uh, I remember us both remarking at the time that it really looked like at the end of the fight, Stephen Thompson might have been the one. I think you, I'm trying to think how you phrased it. It was something along the lines of, if I were to ask both yes. these guys who wanted to go again, Right. That was the one difference I, I thought that I, I, between the two fighters was a lot of arguing what round you give a 10A to what, who won which rounds. Yeah. And uh, I thought that it was a draw because I thought that, you know, uh, Stephen uh, Thompson won rounds uh, two, three, and five, but he won them only in 10-9 fashion. I gave Woodley the first round, but uh, that was still according to the old rules, so 10-8 was very hard to come by, so it's only a 10-9. But in that fourth round, I can see a huge argument for being a 10-8 round, and so a draw seemed uh, very much uh, an easy uh, explanation or conclusion to that fight. But the one thing I did notice was that, and I told that to you, look at the uh, posture and mannerism both guys. If you said right now, if Dana came in and goes, hey, what, you know what, screw this draw shit, we're going to go ahead and go for a sixth round. I think Wonder Boy, without a doubt, walks up on the mark and goes, all right, let's go. And Tyrone will start arguing. <laughs> that night, anyways, he would have been uh, quick to sit there and go and get out of that. Yeah, well, you know, fortunately, the the rematch wasn't fought right away. We've we've had a a couple of months anyway to uh, for everybody to rest and recover. Now we get to see it all over again. And the thing that really surprised me coming out of that fight was I, I it was it was a fantastic fight, one of the best of the year. I thought it would be a good fight. I just didn't think it would go the distance. I thought what was going to happen is we were going to find out very quickly whose style was going to be superior. I didn't think it was going to be a back-and-forth, round-to-round affair like that. Did Not you? at all. I thought that basically, you're right, whoever would have imposed their game yes, plan. Yes, yes. Uh, I thought that once Woodley got, uh, uh, you know, a, Thompson in some bad positions. I felt that he would have been able to just smash him up pretty badly. And, and even if the fight would have continued on, it would have been one-sided. And had Woodley not been able to figure out uh, Thompson's uh, uh, range and his angles, that he never would have figured it out. But uh, the fight was much more back and forth than I had thought that it would have been uh, going into it. Now, I also talked to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson today. I was at the T-Mobile Arena for UFC 209 Media Day, and I actually posed the same question to, to him to start off that you and I just asked Tyron about the new rules changes and how that could possibly affect uh, this rematch. Let's listen to my chat with uh, Wonderboy. Stephen, this is a, a rematch, a highly anticipated rematch of a very closely contested fight. And, you know, a lot of times rematches don't live up to uh, the first one. Maybe fighters are more cautious, that sort of thing. Do you think there's any chance of that? Or given the, the contrast in styles, do you think it's just guaranteed excitement? I think it's guaranteed excitement, you know, with the styles. He's the type of guy that likes to go out there and duke it out, throw that big right hand. Um, you know, I want to meet him out there in the middle. I'm going to use my movement, flashy kicks. I mean, you this, I mean, the first one, it was, you know, fight of the night for a reason. And I know he's going to go back and make some changes, and so am I. So you might see different fighters out there, you know, which, which makes this game so exciting. You know, the scoring was, uh, was all over the place in that first fight. And, of course, now we've got new rules, more liberal use of 10-8 rounds, things like that. Do you think that uh, those new rules would have affected the outcome of that first one and could play more of a factor in the second one? Possibly, man. You never know. Um, um, you know, I felt I won the second, third, and fifth round, and I know he got the first in the in the in the, in the fourth round. But um, right now, at this moment, I'm trying not to leave it in the judges' hands. So my goal is to go out there and do what I what I do, and that's fight, man. And, um, I love doing it, but um, man, just going out there and have some fun. 
You know, we in the media have been talking about you getting on this main event stage. It seems like ever since you've been in the UFC, now that you're here, you you seem very uh, relaxed. Even the embedded shows, things like that, having fun. Is that just your demeanor? Or are you surprised that you seem to be as calm as you are now that you're you're on the top of the card? That's that's kind of how I've always been. I've always been that way, and I've, you know, I've been fighting for almost 18, 19 years since I was 15 years old. And, and that's one of the things that I've learned. Hey, man, you know, this is what you're doing. Why not enjoy it? Have a good time. Uh, train hard. I mean, you're fighting the guy, the best guys in the world, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So just uh, make the best of it, you know? Um, so that's just that's just who I am. I mean, I've always been a positive person and trying to have a good time any, uh, with everything I'm doing. Just one more for you. Uh, you know, we got to see a little bit of your dad on uh, Embedded. He seems like quite a character. Uh, and uh, I know you're related by marriage to Chris Weidman, and I know Chris's dad is a real character. Have these two ever gotten together? It seems like that could be a podcast in the making. <laughs> it definitely could, man. Chris Weidman's dad and my dad are definitely uh, some interesting guys. And I think, uh, hey, you never know, we may end up putting a podcast with these two guys together. I think the fans would love that. I like it. Good luck. Thanks, Thank man. you. So Wonderboy little noncommittal on whether or not he thought uh, the the rules would have uh, new rules would judging would have uh, affected the outcome but you know you really do see what an what an upbeat attitude this guy has all the time super super relaxed and you know you can hear it in the audio but I'll tell you even just the the, the visualization at uh, media day the visuals went like this and you can tell me as a fighter yourself frank whether or not you think any of this matters but uh, you know tyron's got the sunglasses on uh he's got the the hoodie on with the hood pulled up and just you know seems to have a real narrow uh focus going on and is uh answering uh questions from reporters uh steven thompson who's only probably 15 feet away from him basically sharing space on the same stage is uh is i don't know he just seems much more relaxed you know much more kind of happy go lucky not that he's not taking it seriously but he does seem to be one of those guys and you heard me ask him where i said you know we it seems like almost since wonder boy came on the scene in the ufc we were talking about what would happen if he challenged for a title because of that singular style that he has and now that he's in that big show it just doesn't seem like any of that's affected him he's just got a very laid-back attitude well i think this comes from so many years and so many competitions he's had in kickboxing and karate mm. and i think that uh he's acclimated to being in in, in high pressure situations and and he's found a good way of just being able to relate to the fact that you know saturday night even if whatever's on the line whatever mm. stakes are at, uh, are at stake that he's still able to just you know process it as a, just another competition with him and another man and so i think that's why he's able to stay relaxed as far as Tyrone being kind of uptight and a little bit more nervous, um, you know, I never really found a strong correlation between, oh, this guy's nervous between the fight, before the fight, he's going to be, his performance is going to suffer, mm -hmm. uh, or if a guy's too relaxed, is he going to do well, do well, or is it going to suffer? It kind of depends. And usually what I try to look for is a pattern. If a guy is continuously at ease for example let's say we take tyrone woodley if every other fight we've seen him before he was laid back relaxed and then the week before a certain fight say this fight his behavior changes uh, then it's an indication something's not right it's like okay yeah. this isn't the status quo but if the guy is always nervous always puking before that's the guy. That's just how he handles competition. That's how he's going to be, uh, you know, and vice versa. If you see a guy who's always uptight and all of a sudden he's really relaxed, you're like, wow, maybe you're not taking this as seriously, you yeah. know, because for him, that's not his normal uh, uh, method of operation. He wasn't and he, he, he certainly didn't appear nervous to me. He just appeared intense. You know, he just much more intense, I guess is the way I should say it, than uh, than Wonder Boy is. And, hey, maybe maybe that means uh, Tyron Woodley is more focused. I don't know. But I think it could just be the difference in these guys' uh, uh, demeanors might be about as different as uh, their fight styles, which is pretty drastic. But last time it made for a really good fight. I agree with you. I think that also, too, I think Woodley feels uh, – I don't think he's happy about the situation. I feel that, you know uh, – because they called him out as the original winner. Oh, right. I think that moment on, he was kind of screwed mentally because a victory was taken away from him in his mind. 
because of the way that it was read, the results were uh, improperly given out. So I think that all leading up to it, that the fight should have been, you know, did he, he should never won it. It was a draw. Uh, I think upset him and etched away at him uh, in a lot of ways. So I think that this fight means more to him than just a victory over uh, uh, Thompson. Because if anything, if he comes out and loses on Saturday, it justifies that Thompson probably won the last one also. How do you see this? Uh, do you think this fight plays out any differently than the first one? Uh, no, actually, I think it's going to be another back-and-forth battle. I think both guys have shown cased uh, abilities that the other guy has a hard time with, and they've been able to defend it at the same time. So I think it's an interesting chess match. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think Woodley is able to knock out Thompson. Uh, he hit him with a phenomenal shot, and he survived. And Thompson landed shots on Woodley and to the body and, and, and likewise and wasn't able to put him out. So I think this fight still goes the distance. Uh I don't think either guy has the submission abilities to finish the other guy. Uh, so I think we're going to see a, a five-round war. You know what? I completely agree with that, and I think that the real X factor could be the that new judging criteria. True. As far as the decision at the end, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who's winning, which I think the new judging uh, criteria favors Woodley. Reason being is I think that if Woodley, for when his style – is winning the round, it's very evident. If, if Woodley's winning the round for three and a half minutes, four minutes, I don't think it's debatable that he's winning the round. Take you to the ground, smother you, press you against the cage, right. make you immobile. Whereas if Thompson's winning, it's more debatable. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, he's landing a shot, but then Woodley threw a shot back, back and forth, and Thompson could be controlling and, and landing things and moving around, but I don't think it's as dramatic as the way that Woodley is. So I think the judges, it's easier to miss that, okay, well, that's a 10-9. I don't think that Thompson is easily able to pull out a 10-8 round as Woodley would be able to. The co-main event. I, it, it's hard It's hard for me to imagine being more excited uh, about a fight on a card than this rematch of Tyron Woodley and, and Stephen Thompson, but I think I might be more excited for the co-main event just for the fact that I have not seen it before. We're talking about Khabib Nurmagomedov facing Tony Ferguson for the interim lightweight title, by the way. Uh, Conor McGregor stays your your reigning lightweight champion, but one of these guys will be the interim title holder when it's all said and done, and then presumably will attempt to unify that title should they still be holding it when uh, Conor McGregor returns to action. But uh, I talked to Tony Ferguson, and we'll listen to that audio right now at uh, UFC 209 Media Day earlier this morning. Tony, uh, speaking of 10th Planet, I talked to Eddie Bravo a couple of nights ago, and he said without giving away too much that he thought that the game plan could be very similar to the way you train to face RDA. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, they're both around the same kind of st- uh, stylistic fighters. Uh, RDA has a little bit more Muay Thai background, um, but the Muay Thai background is not Muay Baran like myself. I practice Muay Baran, if you guys are familiar with Muay Thai. This is straight from Thailand. And my coach, uh, Coach Billy Scheib, Coach Billy Fonua, he's uh, trained by Nuckweed. And you guys do your homework who Knockweed was. And this dude was one of those guys that would fight at like maybe 65 kilos versus 115 kilo guys. Not afraid to take any shots or go in there. And especially with Eddie, we know exactly what we're doing. We've been drilling day in, day out, making sure that we're hitting our points, making sure our flexibility's there, and making sure that our mental focus is there. I got my coach Dave Mills that's right behind you. Check him out, guys. That's the guy that got me at Grand Valley State University. He's the one that helped me uh, initiate this mental toughness that I have. I've always had it, but when you get to a college level and you can hone that talent and you can start to mold it and form it and shape it, that's what I took to me over in California when I first started my MMA journey because it was the mold that was starting to get there. And what I had to do was trust in that, in that training that I had in college and that I had in high school with my pops and everybody else that gave me that opportunity and to mold it even further. And this is what you see today. You see a professional, you see me mature from the ultimate fighter. It's a completely different atmosphere here, man. And I really try to be serious about it, be professional, and try not to let my heads float up in the clouds because I got little guys looking for me to be a good example for them. I'm not perfect. I will never say that I'm perfect. But perfect practice makes perfect, and I practice a hell of a lot harder than them. So. Tony, really? no, over the years, no matter where your fight's been on the card, you've always had the ability to make everybody feel like it's going to be the most exciting fight on the card, it's the most important fight on the card. Now that it arguably is uh, the most high-profile fight on the card, even uh, against a, a, another title fight, uh, is that something that mentally prepared you over the years to be in this spot so that it is just another week in terms of doing media, no matter the fact that you're in that co-main event? Yeah, it's a part of the game, dude. I mean, 
and then let me slow down a little bit because this is the fun part how else i mean literally when we were first starting it's all about this stuff you know what i mean you want to you want to have the banner behind you with all the sponsors remember when condom depot was over on the shorts and stuff you're like yeah i want those sponsors i want to be that guy and when they took them all away you're like oh shit what am i going to do now you know now we're forced to wear reebok but i'm not hating on it you know i remember when reebok didn't even have my fight kit on there was i hating no I can't do it, man. I don't have time. I don't have the energy to do it. For me, it's all about the, 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 spot, the spot of the moment. It's the journey, dude. And if you know Eddie Bravo, it's all about the beautiful journey, man, getting to that one particular spot of mixed martial arts. It gives me goosebumps, man. And once I, once I go in there and I demonstrate exactly what I've been preparing for in this camp, which is tough, nose, grindy, mental toughness mentality, he's not going to be ready for it. And if he is ready for it, then you guys are going to get fucking fireworks, man. It's going to be like two meat grinders. You can see sparks fucking flying. Same way when I sharpen my elbows. So we'll do thoughts on the fight here. Uh, obviously, Frank, Khabib Nurmagomedov, has never been defeated. Uh, he is, when you, when you talk about people that deserve a, until further notice, unbeatable tag, and they are few and far between, I would say that he's definitely one of them. Well, exactly. I mean, we, in his fight with Michael McDonald that we made a big deal out of, or the, the press did, that he got rocked with one shot. And it's amazing that a guy can be so successful and someone else lands one good shot that doesn't even buckle their legs, just stuns them pretty good. And we talk about how, wow, we actually saw him take a good shot. You mean Mike, Michael Johnson? Michael Johnson, yeah. thank you, sir. Oh, so, you know, so I agree that, you know, uh, Mega Madoff looks extremely uh, tough. The thing about uh, uh, Khabib, uh, you know, being undefeated, now he has dealt with the injuries, but we have seen him come back from those injuries and obviously uh, no apparent rust on him and he's doing it against high, you know, high profile opponents like Michael Johnson. But with Tony Ferguson, that guy, I mean, you look at what he did against Rafael dos Anjos, uh, who, by the way, you know, there's there's a similar approach in terms of between him and Nurmagomedov, and that both of them will probably try to take Ferguson down and impose their will there. But uh, with with Ferguson, there's not only a supreme confidence, but a guy that we have seen in absolute all-out wars. And, and a guy who really does seem to, um, it just, it feels to me talking to him, I know this is an intangible, but talking to him over the years, he's just a guy more so than just about anybody else I can think of that has always felt to me like he was in this place in his head years ago. He was already here, you know, fight week, the big opponent, the title uh, shots and all that. And uh, if, if he gets beat on a Saturday night, it's not going to be because of a lack of will. That being said, uh, he's got a tough challenge against Sir Mega Madoff. So is it possible? I mean, what do you think? No, I think so. I think that, well, I, we've seen that with uh, against Michael Johnson and Mega Madoff could be hit, you know, that mm -hmm. he's open, that he's not invincible. Uh, I think that... Uh, you know, uh, Ferguson's a taller, longer opponent, uh, you know, and has reach advantage if he continue to keep so. Uh, but, you know, I, I am kind of with everybody else. I'm kind of leaning towards uh, uh, Megamedov, Megamedov because of the fact being that I think that it, it's going to come down to his positional grappling is so superior. Mm -hmm. I think that once he gets the fight to the ground, whereas, you know, Ferguson has been able to rotate, move around, and find those openings for the Dars that he's landed so many times, I don't see them being available to him. And if anything, I think when he goes for them, he's going to end up in worse position, and uh, he's going to pay the price. I think he's going to get beat up really bad on the bottom. I think he's a super tough guy. has phenomenal gas tank. I can very well see this fight going all the way to decision, but I foresee a lot of the rounds possibly going 10-8. Well, more 10-8 rounds telling the tale, possibly. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the two fights uh, at the top of this card. We'll talk to uh, Eddie Bravo, who is Tony Ferguson's jiu-jitsu coach, here in just uh, a little bit on this episode because uh, Eddie's got EBI 11 coming up Sunday. But before that, he will be here in Las Vegas Saturday night cornering uh, Tony Ferguson in the co-main event. Quick thought on all these interim titles. What, what do you think about this? I mean, we get, you know, we, we talked about, the 
the couple of episodes ago that used to, uh, I, I, I believe the uh, analogy I made was that, that used to somebody had to get in a, uh, in a horrific motorcycle crash <laughs> to, to have the need for an interim title. Nowadays, it's maternity leave. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know, <laughs> you know and, and a lot of it is just because I, I think that Connor has caused this uh, uh, issue because mm-hmm. of uh, the fact that really that he is the UFC right now. He's the, the poster boy. And if Conor McGregor went away tomorrow, I think the UFC would be in a lot of trouble. Oh, I yeah. Think. yeah. I think McGregor yeah. is the he is the name of the game. So he's been able to make calls and do things that other fighters would never be able to get away with. But, hey, when you sell out Madison Square Garden and, and have the record number of pay-per-view buys, it gives you some leeway. You know, you're the top producing guy at the office. Mm-hmm. You can show up a little bit late and <laughs> leave early. And so, uh, you know, and actually I think that it's actually beneficial for him that uh, these two are going to face each other off for an interim title because I think he actually loses to both. I think both Tony Ferguson, his style and his submission abilities and the fact that he so f- has a tough chin, I don't think he goes anywhere. I think that, uh, you know, uh, more often than not, he beats uh, Connor. And I absolutely think 10 out of 10 times uh, Mega Medoff uh, destroys him. So I think that it's kind of nice for him. He could take some time off, go have a baby, uh, you know, you know, and he is uh, the name of the game. So, I mean, he can do what he wants. But as far as uh, stylistically and potential of, uh, of opponents, I think these two knocking one or the other off, he has a greater chance of, you know, if he faces one of them, you know, it's still a fight. He could pull out a victory and beat the challenger. But if he had to face these guys back to back, I think that's one hell of a gauntlet he'd have to go through. We also have heavyweights on uh, the main card, and it just happens to be two guys that you have fought before, Frank. Uh, Mark Hunt, your last opponent, will be facing off against the demolition man, Alistair Overeem. You know, I think Alistair, he's, he's had some tricky game plans going forward or going in the last couple of fights, training out of Jackson's camp. And so uh, I can see it as far as strategy-wise and length-wise. I think he has a long range and able to kick a knee from a distance. Uh, isn't like uh, uh, Mark's looking to take him down. So I think that, you know, I, I think he goes to a, a three-round decision with a victory. That being said, you know, Mark Hunt still hits like Mark Hunt. It wouldn't surprise me if he's able to at one point land one of the, his uh, his punches. If he's able to land anything clean, I think that uh, Alistair could be in trouble. I just, I guess I'm slight with Alistair on this one. I really don't see how he's going to get past or get close enough because of the height difference and lang- range and the fact that Alistair's also a K1 champion and understands how to stay away from the, uh, the, uh, the attacks that Mark Hunt has. Also on the main card is Rashad Evans, and I, I kind of want us to talk about where Rashad is at this point in his career and, and what this particular fight against Daniel Kelly means uh, to his career. First, let's look at his opponent, Daniel Kelly, an older guy, 39 years old, with a uh, MMA record of uh, 12 and 1. He's Australian. He was on uh, the Ultimate Fighter uh Australia or Ultimate Fighter Nations is what it was called. He was on Team Australia. Uh, he is a judo practitioner of the highest level. He was on uh, the Australian judo team for four different Olympics. Uh, and so that's obviously the style he is going to be most closely associated with coming into the fight with Rashad Evans. He's on a three-fight win streak over uh, fight, uh, fights with Chris Camozzi, Antonio Carlos Jr., otherwise known as Shoeface, and Steve Montgomery. Uh, his lone loss in the UFC, I believe, was to Smile and Sam Alvey. But let's look over on the other side of the ledger at Rashad Evans. One time, one of the biggest uh, names in the sport, former light heavyweight champion, uh, ultimate fighter winner. But, you know, Rashad has dealt with some injuries and some really just kind of some question marks about where he's been at in his career over the last couple of years. If you go back to 2013, he fought two times or three times in 2013. He lost to Rogerio Noguera. And I remember being at that fight and thinking, uh, I was really wondering what was going on in Rashad Evans' head uh, after that fight. Because it just, by all accounts, was a fight, not to take anything away from Little Nog, but it really did just kind of look like a fight. And I think Rashad said something to this effect afterwards that he just 
just didn't appear to be kind of it wasn't his night in terms of he just kind of wasn't all mentally in it right then he went on a two-fight win streak uh he defeated uh dan henderson uh he knocked out chel sonnen and then that was the end of 2013 and then he was away for two years dealing with injury comes back loses a unanimous decision to ryan bader he's out for the better part of another year and comes back and is uh, KO'd in April of 2016 by Glover Teixeira just a minute and a half uh, or so into the first round. So basically since uh, 2015, this will be the third consecutive year where Rashad Evans has attempted to uh, reinvigorate his career. And at age 37, you just have to wonder, especially if he were to lose to uh, an opponent uh, like Kelly, if this might be close to the end of the road for Rashad. It could be very scary. Um, the fact that he's not just uh, fighting top-level competition and coming up short. At this point, he'd be fighting a guy that relatively is, uh, you know, an up-and-comer, uh, even in the you know later years of his age. Mm-hmm. Um, and compounded with the fact of all the injuries and, and time off and some major injuries that he's had. I mean, uh, one of his knee surgeries or knee injuries that had taken him, um, you know, over a year to come back in. Um, the talk in the in the gym was that he was probably done. That it, it was such a severe injury that he would never be able to. Uh, come back to a high level of competition and so you know getting knocked out by Glover Teixeira is not that bad of a thing I mean the no. guy's a knockout artist right, right. Uh, hits super hard it's kind of like him getting knocked out by Anthony Johnson I don't write Glover Teixeira off from being knocked out by Anthony Johnson right uh, but that being said is a loss against uh uh, Danny, that would uh, not take anything away from him but you know unless he goes out there and has a great performance and if his a opponent has a great performance and just you know comes out on top i think he's okay but if he goes out there and just you know has a lackluster performance looks bad then i think that the talk will be very uh imminent on you know sunday and monday morning about you know really what's the next step for him let's segue to eddie bravo frank and i talked to eddie about ebi coming up this weekend sunday out in uh, los angeles you can watch it exclusively on ufc's Fight Pass. If you're not going to be there live, I always get very excited for uh, EBI, as you know. And uh, we're also going to talk to Eddie about uh, his uh, his cornering um, uh, Tony Ferguson Saturday night UFC 209. Without further ado, here's Eddie Bravo. Frank, it is EBI week. You know how excited I get. Joining us on the guest line right now is the architect of the Eddie Bravo Invitational. EBI 11 is on Sunday. Uh, you can watch it exclusively on Fight Pass, or you can show up live and uh, see it in L.A. Eddie Bravo returns. He's on the phone. How you doing, Eddie? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. As always. Well, you know, I, I think you must think I'm excited this much all the time, but it's actually only during EBI week, so uh, it takes nice. an EBI coming up to, uh, to to get me this hyped up. So here's what we got. EBI 11, the welterweights. And uh, first thing, I, I, and there's also a tournament within a tournament because you are introducing combat jiu-jitsu in a mini tournament we'll get to that in a second first for everybody who wants to attend live and all the information is at ebiofficial.com for tickets and that sort of thing we do want to let everybody know that uh, you're, you're changing venues this time uh, you you've been having them at the orpheum theater for the last handful of them and you're moving to a different venue so tell us a little bit about uh, what facilitated the move and and if the facility is uh, structured any differently how's it going to play out well, we were trying to have it at the Orpheum, but they had that date booked. And uh, we needed, you know, before we would book on dates that the Orpheum had open. But now the UFC is getting more involved with booking the dates. They want EBIs on big UFC pay-per-view weekends. So uh-huh. it would be like a, some, something that they could promote a UFC Fight Pass with. You know what I mean? So they right. want to do. So it's their idea. So... You know, there's a that big UFC coming up this Saturday with Khabib and Tony and Woodley against uh, Wonder Boy. Right. So and then Sunday, EBI 11, they wanted it that way. So the Orpheum was already booked, so we had to find a new place. Okay, and where's that new place going to be for people who are going to attend live? It's at the Florentine Gardens in El Monte. You can get your tickets. If you're anywhere in Southern California, uh, I suggest you see it live. 
it's it's going to look the same. I mean, the same stage, same LCD screen. It's just where the audience sits. It's going to be a little different. Um, and it's you can go to ebiofficial.com, get your tickets there, and uh, they're 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 pretty damn cheap too. Okay, good, good. Well, that's that's where you get the tickets, and it's also nice to hear that uh, the Orpheum isn't out of the picture uh, for future events because that's always oh. a, such a beautiful venue to attend. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted it there, but unfortunately, we had to we had to take the date. The UFC uh, told us to uh, book it, and uh, the Orpheum was already booked. So I got you. Now, uh, the the principles that are going to be involved, let's talk about that. Uh, before we get to combat jiu-jitsu, uh, the, the welterweights are going to be in action. Now, your reigning welterweight champion is my jiu-jitsu man crush, uh, Gary Tunnan, but he is, uh, I guess, vacating the title, right, so that his Danaher teammate, uh, Gordon Ryan, can have a shot at it. Can you kind of explain how that whole thing played out? Well, you're, you're only the champion in EDI. Uh, you know, until the next, the next time we do that division, then you got to earn it again. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's, so Gary Tonin is the champion, the welterweight champion, until uh, Sunday night when EDI 11 concludes. Now the bantamweights are going to be going at 135 there for the uh, the combat jujitsu that I'm extremely interested in. I think it's a great yeah. platform for that transition of going from jujitsu into MMA. Um, are there any extra uh, as far as platforms having the referees and whatnot involved for the fact that there are strikes now with the open hand a fight technically could be stopped via you know uh, TKO? Yes, yes, that can be. You know, once one combatant is on the ground. Open palm strikes are legal to the head and to the body. Obviously, not the back of the head. So, on the ground, it's like it's it's like amateur MMA sort of, but with palm strikes, no punches. And standing, it's just wrestling. When both combatants are standing, no strikes of any kind are allowed. Just wrestling. So one person has to be on the ground. So one person could be on the back, and that, and then one person could be like in a horse stance and and still be throwing palm strikes. Uh, because you know one guy's on the ground, so yeah, and, and Mike Beltran is going to be refing those matches. The commission is involved. I mean, this is a, this is official stuff. Now, do you foresee any differences in the grappling that's going to occur there? The fact being that you know oh, guys yeah. just can't sit there and and hunt for a footlock with no kind of punishment coming their way. Now that there's going to be open hand strikes, do you think it'll be even more similar? Uh, what you were trying to accomplish with the uh, the no point system, even similar to uh, MMA? Yeah, you know what? I don't think the leg locks are going to change as much as people think. There's going to be a couple things, maybe double outside Ashi, probably probably take that out the mix, maybe. A couple things will, will change. Uh, but what, what's really going to change 100% is the mount. The mount is going to come back in a big way. And if the mount comes back in a big way, then that means passing the guard will come back in a big way. You know what I mean? Because now mounts without striking, you know, it's a good position, but... Damn, it's it's a Rubik's cube on how to submit a guy when you're mounting him and you can't punch him, especially if he's got good defense. Uh, but with the punch, with the strikes, I mean, even three quarter mount is going to be a beautiful place to be. So then that means getting to top half's huge and passing the guards huge, and it's also going to change full guard. You know, you're not going to be able to just sit there with your open guard with a Z as as much as you were before, or you know, you're going to have to close up and clinch up. But the guy on top's gonna go ape shit on you. Now, Eddie, how did you decide on the weight class for this this four man uh, combat jujitsu mini tournament? Was it based more on the guys that you specifically wanted to involve, or did you match the guys to the the ideal weight class you wanted to contest it at? No, you know, uh, for the regular EBI tournament, the sixty man tournament, I'm ten planet guys because I'm not only the founder of EBI, uh, I'm also a coach. Yes, in that in the tournament. So my guys, I got so many schools and so many guys, so many high level guys that I have uh, trials, like to get a spot in EBI, you gotta, you gotta go through the trials and the trials are called 10 PQ. Uh, I, I, I watch those by the way. Uh, you can watch them on uh, Eddie Bravo's YouTube channel. If you want to see the, some of the qualifying yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, but it, right now, um, combat jujitsu, I'm not going to qualify because all I'm looking from my 10 planet guy, from my 10 planet guys is the guys that have the best rubber guard, the best that have the, you know, the, the better your rubber guard is, the better your clothes guard is, 
the better you're going to, um, the more, the more uh, chance you're going to have against the superior wrestling. You know, you could have the best passing in the world. You could have amazing passing and an amazing mount. But what if you fight a guy that has way better wrestling than you and you're going to be on your back the whole time? you got to be able to, to bring serious heat off your back. And I'm only putting in 10 Planet guys that are known for attacking off their back. And J.M. Holland, he's, uh, he's the 10th Planet guy, the first guy I chose. You know, cause, and, and they also have to have some MMA experience as well because I don't want to put a guy in there who, who freezes when he gets hit in the face. You know, oh, J.M. Yeah. Yeah, J.M. Holland, you know, he kicked, He grew up kickboxing and he had kickboxing matches. So he, he's he's totally comfortable with being hit, especially with bomb strikes. It's not going to be, I'm not worried about it. So he was the first guy um, I, I thought of because of the striking experience and the fact that he has such a good clinching offensive game off his back. He's really good off his back. So, and then I just basically made the tournament around his weight. Uh, the next time we do combat jiu-jitsu, I'm going to do 145, and I already have a guy planned out for that. Um, his name is Fernando Padilla, and he has five dead orchards in MMA already. I mean, his guard is insane, insane. So he's going to be next. Um, now, speaking of uh, of dead orchards, you've got uh, Nathan Orchard returning to action in uh, on this card as well, don't you? Yeah, he won the qualifier. Uh, Nathan Orchard won 10 PQ. Right. Uh, he uh, all rear naked chokes. Um, so uh, <clears throat> we're seeing a different Nathan Orchard these days. Uh, he's uh, still a high-level leg locker, but he's really fallen in love with the rear naked choke again. You know, it, work, working um, on EBI overtime rounds as a, an association, you know, I've added EBI overtime uh, round uh, work in our curriculum. You know, we have a an eight, day cycle of warm-ups four days a week every two weeks we, we go through a, a cycle with a warm-up curriculum and we go a b c d e f g h and then it stops at h and then it starts over a b c d e f and um anytime we have a d and h those days we do 10 minutes of ebi overtime rounds before sparring so that way, it's not like, oh, man, there's an EBI coming up. We better work on EBI overtime rounds. It's just part of our, our curriculum. So, you know, as the years go by, or as like the, just in the last year of uh, inserting it into our curriculum, into our regimen, it's just, it's made, it, man, it's made just such a tremendous improvement on rear naked chokes and arm bars offensively and defensively. You know, my, the level of defense now, because we've just been packing on those EBI overtime rounds on certain days and we no wavering, always 10 minutes and it just adds up. I, I could just imagine what it's going to do in a couple more years. But um, all my leg lock guys now, they're seeing the beauty and in, in, in the rear naked choke. If you spend a lot of time on it, you spend a lot of time like we're doing, man, there's whole other levels. There's levels like Marcelo Garcia levels, you know. And even beyond that, there's so many options. It turns into a, like just being on the back turns, it's all the attacks and the options. You spend enough time there, man. It turns into a whole different sport almost. Yeah. Attack, it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, it's, and not just, it's not just I got your back, got the hooks in, let me try to get that choke in. It's so elaborate, elaborate and sophisticated. You're seeing it a lot with, I mean, John Danner said the same thing. He's having the same kind of results. It's like, we never really spent um, uh, that much time starting on the back and starting in arm bars. I mean, what it does for your defense and your offense over time, I mean, sure, jiu-jitsu associations will touch on it every now and then, but to make it part of your curriculum and no matter what, you're going to be hitting it, it it's, it's incredible. It's incredible what it's done. It's uh, EBI, the results in EBI and all the data collected from EBI has supercharged the 10 planet system. If there was no EBI, man, uh, my association wouldn't be nearly as strong as it is right now. Well, I, I agree, Eddie. I think that the overtime rules are really what, at least, uh, you know, in the, the, the early years here now of, uh, of the EBI tournaments is, is what has really put its, its historical stamp on them. And, and a lot of people are not only noticing, but adopting. In fact, Eddie, you don't know this, 
Uh, Frank and I did a live stage show Sunday night at the Stratosphere. We actually, did you realize, Frank, we actually employed EBI overtime rules live on stage? We did a bit, Eddie, where we played Combat Name That Tune. And the deal was Frank had to submit me faster than I could name a tune that the DJ played. And we used EBI overtime rules, starting from the back, starting from Spider Guard, etc. So I guess that was a little nod to you. I didn't even think about that until now, Frank. <laughs> Wait a minute. So someone would play a song. You would start an EBI overtime round, and then someone would play a song. And if you can name that song before Frank submitted you, you won? Yeah. Yeah. And and it was scary. He's really good at fucking naming songs, too. Let me tell you. <laughs> I had about a half a heartbeat before he knew the song. <laughs> Yeah, we started in, uh, I started like in his guard, and then we moved to cross side, and then he, he, he took my back, uh, EBI style, for uh, the big finish. The crowd loved it. So, you know, once uh, once combat jujitsu catches on, if you want to try to uh, build a tournament around me and uh, combat name that tune, uh, I'm down for that, Eddie. Maybe 2018, we look ahead to do hey, that. Hey, you know, as long as I get my piece. Right there, share. I'm all good. <laughs> I like it. Like, actually, you know what? That would be interesting to illustrate the musical side of you, Eddie. I, I would like to. I mean, you'd be a real hybrid athlete in my new sport of combat. Name that tune, because you yeah. would be, uh, you'd be uh, 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 highly proficient at both. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you a clip of the video. You'll probably uh, get a kick out of uh, seeing it because we nice. filmed it. Hey, uh, so I also want to ask you about Richie Boogeyman Martinez is in this thing. Now, when I tell people the storylines of, of EBI at this point, you've got your your dynasty. you got your Danaher death squad, your three-pronged attack of, uh, of Gordon Ryan, Gary Tonin, and Eddie Cummings. And then you got the, the breakdancing Martinez brothers uh, of, uh, of uh, Geo and uh of uh of richie and it was geo who defeated eddie cummings for the ebi bantamweight title and that's if memory serves that's one of the few titles that uh uh that the danaher death squad has has come up in second place on so you and of course richie's cornering geo in that so now you kind of have this narrative of uh you know boogeyman's in this thing he's competing against a danaher guy in uh gordon ryan and uh you know maybe the the uh the danaher guys have a chance to to kind of uh uh you know avenge that loss in a way by uh, maybe getting one over on on boogeyman yeah i mean it's you know ebi 10 was so special so monumental so epic it just um um you know, as far as UFC Fight Pass tells me, the numbers were uh, insane. They were, uh, that's what they said. So, but, you know, and, and Gio just, you know, shocked the world. It was like Rocky beating Drago, you know. It was like uh, Eddie Cummings is just so dominant. And because he was so dominant, that's what made EBI 10 so special. And that's what made that win. That was the biggest win in 10 Planet history. So, so, um. You know, now, now, you know, but they're not done. You know, they, that, that, that or death squad ain't going nowhere. They'll still be around. I mean, Gordon Ryan at 170, holy shit, you know, what's that going to look like? Right. Yeah. Now, Frank, um, they, they, they've also got uh, Kyle Griffin competing. If you remember, when you and I were at EBI 8, this is the guy that, that before he uh, met Gordon Ryan, he escaped like some kind of just crazy uh, arm bar. You remember that one? Yeah. I do. You know, Kyle trains out here in Vegas, and he was – how long was his arm straightened out for? I, I thought it was going to break, and somehow he sal- he got through it. And I was even saying that, well, I don't know if he's going to be able to do the next match. His arm has to be popped. And he showed no, uh, uh, no ill uh, – uh, Cummings from it and was able to come out and, uh, you know, ended up getting finished with a heel hook. But, uh, yeah, his arm is one tough guy. Yeah, what happened was it was an overtime, and Kyle tapped out Felipe Fogelin at the top of the round. So Felipe had still had that bottom of the round, to, and he had to get a submission faster than Kyle got it. So um, Kyle's arm was straightened out when the buzzer went off. That's what happened. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, that that was one of the more dramatic uh, finishes that I remember of any EBIs that I've attended live. So he's 
He's back in uh, this tournament as well Sunday uh, it, w- among the welterweights. Tell me about this young 18-year-old you've got, uh, Eddie Jean-Paul uh, Libignani. This guy, uh, I-, I think I remember talking to you uh, before uh, the last tournament or tournament before last started, and you might have been referencing this guy because I, I do remember you talking about a purple belt who hadn't even turned 18 years old yet but was tapping out black belts, and I guess now that this guy has turned 18, he's about to become the, the youngest competitor at EBI on Sunday. The youngest competitor in the 16-man divisions, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had, like, Grace and Korosek, and, you know, yeah. remember we had – little girls competing sure but yeah his name is his name is jean paul lebosnoyani i think i said that right that's yeah. a tough last name yeah but i've been watching this guy compete at gracie worlds for the last five years and he crushes everybody in his path he's been doing jujitsu since he was like three years old uh his dad has a martial arts school so he's one of those kids like uh wonder boy you know but uh, in jujitsu and um you know, now he's, he's he just turned 18, and, and we're going to see what this kid's about, you know. You've also got Wagner Rocha competing, UFC, Bellator, uh, Strikeforce veteran. That's a, another recognizable name. And then a guy that, that you've had some personal experience yeah, with. Yes, Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've also got uh, yeah, Karen Dar. Yeah, go ahead. Karen Darabedian is out. He got injured. Okay. He's, but he's, he's being replaced by a high-level black belt named Marcel Goncalves. He's a, a cyborg black belt. This guy, this guy, um, he's, he was already in shape. He stepped up just a day ago, and he's training for the Abu Dhabi trials. And um, he's stepping in. He wanted he wanted to jump in. He's like he's one of those Brazilians like Rafael Domingos and like Felipe Fogolin. You know, he's one of those Brazilians that uh, loves the sub only format. And uh, he's been asking me to get in for a while, so um, I'm, I'm only I'm only interested in guys that are uh, who, who uh, want to get in really bad. You know, if you're if you're on the fence about it, you're like I don't know. It's not the the format kind of freaks you out a little bit, and you don't like this about it. You're like I don't even want to talk to you. I have, there's so many guys that want it. And we're, it's, a, it's a new sport. We're building new stars. You know, all the, the points players who, who, who talk shit on the format online, we're not interested in you anyways, man. You know, you wouldn't do good anyways. If you're complaining about a rear naked sh- shootout to determine who moves on, if that, if that worries you, I don't have a, no interest in you. Keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Yeah. We got plenty of guys. We got plenty of guys who are dying to get in. I'm focusing on those guys. Now, that's uh, Sunday night, EBI uh, 11 on uh, UFC Fight Pass. But, Eddie, at the beginning of the interview, you referenced uh, the night before UFC 209. And I'm guessing you're going to be do, you're gonna be keeping the same schedule this weekend I'm keeping, which is I'll be here in Vegas uh, at uh, UFC 209 covering that live. And then I'm headed up to, to EBI 11 in, uh, in Southern California. And I'm thinking you've got to be here Saturday night because your guy, Tony Ferguson, is uh competing in the fight of his life right yep yep i'm gonna be in tony's corner and i wake up the next morning fly to la and get ready for ebi well give me give us your thoughts real quick on this fight because it's it's not often that uh a welterweight title fight rematch is on the card that that was even declared by some judges uh, or, uh, or a majority of the judges, a draw in Woodley and uh, Wonder Boy. But I'm, I think there may be more people talking and, and maybe even more excited about this co-main event, this interim lightweight title fight between Khabib Nurmagomedov and your guy, uh, Tony Ferguson. You, you think that's true? Um, I could see it. I, I mean, Tony and Khabib, that could be, that could be the headliner right there. Any, any UFC pay-per-view. That's, that's, I mean, come on, Khabib versus Tony? Holy shit. What 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 do you I mean, you've you've been training with Tony Ferguson for some time now, but I mean, preparing him for uh, an opponent like uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov is a special task. So just from a from a coach's uh perspective, give uh give everybody your thoughts on it. Well, without giving away too much. Sure. Uh, we're doing the exact same thing we were doing for RDA. The exact same thing. RDA is really good on the ground. And we were preparing for worst case scenario on the ground. 
with RDA. We, we always prepare for worst case scenario. We, we start with worst case scenario on the ground, and then we work our way out from there. So we're, we're, we're practicing just the getting out of bad spots, every bad spot possible, warm up with that, getting out of bad spots, getting out of doing all the right professional things uh, handed down to me uh, by Jean-Jacques Machado, all the best stuff. And then from there, um, you know, we we go deep, you know, into deep waters and sharpen the finishing tools. I mean, it's, it's no secret to anybody that Khabib's, Khabib's uh, strategy is, is to take Tony down but make no mistake about it I mean Khabib can strike too and you know if he rocked Tony standing I mean no one's going to be that su that surprised you know Khabib's a fucking animal but uh if you're going by you know probability he's going to probably want to take him down and that's probably the best place for Khabib on the ground but the problem is for Khabib is one little mistake I mean he's high level he's a high level mauler but one little mistake Tony is so good in the scrambles with his Darces. He sees them way better than I do on the ground. Any little scramble, he's so unorthodox. If he loses any kind of control of Tony, he's in trouble. So he might take Tony down into a and then get submitted. You know, that could happen. I mean, anything could happen. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to look. So far, Khabib has been able to control everybody on the ground. Can he control Tony on the ground and just subdue him and immobilize him? Man, anything's possible, but we're doing everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. And I'll ask you this in closing then, Eddie, because one thing I've always said about Tony Ferguson, interviewing him for years, uh, you know, this may be uh, his most high-profile date uh, uh, fight, but he's a guy that every time I've talked to him over the years, he gets you so excited for wherever his fight is, even if it's on the fight pass prelims, it's like he convinces you in the moment that that's the main event. That's the most important fight on the card. So when we look at a fighter like this and we go, okay, well, you know, is he ready for this big stage? He hasn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, been in, in the, the this kind of high-profile situation before. It seems like he's been preparing for that for a very long time, and I'm wondering if that type of attitude from him is something that translates into training as well. Absolutely, man. His work ethic is insanely incredible. I, it, I've never, I've never um, known a fighter person like that. He's just this guy can train for six hours straight. It's pretty crazy. I've seen it in Big Bear. The guy's insane. His cardio, he he's working on his cardio all goddamn day. It's it's out of control. He can't stop training. Well, can, I mean, we were, we were in Mexico City, and did he look tired? No, no, no. That's that's what uh, has me so intrigued for this fight Saturday night. Well, speaking of training, Eddie Bravo's got to get to class, so we don't want to hold him up on that outside uh, 10th Planet there talking to us on the phone. But uh, we'll see you, Eddie, Saturday night in Vegas for 209, and then the big event Sunday. Uh, I'll see you up in uh, L.A. for uh, EBI 11. Uh, once again, ticket information at ebiofficial.com. If you want to attend live or you can watch anywhere worldwide exclusively on UFC Fight Pass. Eddie, as always, thanks for the time, man. Uh, excited Thank for the big event Sunday. Thank you very much. See you guys. So there's Eddie uh, with a huge weekend for himself planned between uh, the eponymous jiu-jitsu tournament uh, that bears his name and then also Tony Ferguson and the fight of his life for the lightweight uh, title, the interim version in the UFC. Could, could, could turn out to be a very big weekend for Eddie Bravo if uh, all things go correctly. All right, so Frank, as I said, uh, on the, uh, the first episode of next week, we will get in. We'll tell everybody all the behind-the-scenes stuff that went on with our uh, live stage show that we did with uh, Chael and Joel from You're Welcome because we really do have some great stories about that. We want to make sure we give them proper time to uh, really analyze all that and walk through it. So we'll do that for you guys uh, next week. But this is the point in the show where we want to thank you for listening. We want to ask you, uh, once again, give us those five stars on iTunes. That is very beneficial to us to uh, keep us uh, near the top of the rankings and uh, click through that Amazon banner on our Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page to do your shopping. That helps support the show as well. And buy official Phone Booth Fighting merchandise at phonebooth fighting shop. 
gmail.com. All right, if you want to follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram is Richard Hunter. Facebook is official Richard Hunter. He is on Twitter and Instagram at the Frank Mir, and you can find him on Facebook at official Frank Mir. And Frank, if anybody was following our show's social media uh, earlier today, they saw me posting all manner of behind-the-scenes video and interviews and pictures with uh, various UFC fighters at Media Day. So tell them how they can join the ranks uh, on the Phone Booth Fighting social media. Well, if you'd like to follow on Facebook or Instagram, you can follow us at Phone Booth Fighting. And if you like uh, Snapchat or Twitter, you can follow us at Phone Booth Fight. And if you like to just listen to my own thing, I'm fine not being corrected that I'm constantly saying Phone Booth Fighter. Oh, yeah, that's a new thing you've fallen into. Uh, Fortunately, I don't think you've said it on the air too much, but I picked it up once or twice. I actually told you when I pointed out to you today, I said now that uh, so many fighters have podcasts, one of the questions on the medicals should be, what's the name of your podcast? And if you can't correctly name yeah. it, then they give you additional You know what's even worse testing. than that is I don't yeah. think I was saying phone booth fighter. Yeah. I think I was saying phone booth fighter. Oh, fighter. <laughs> fighter. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, maybe you're, you're trying to help us appeal to the, the rap community. Yeah, I don't even Okay. I, I reviewed in my head what I was yeah. saying. I'm like, oh, yeah, huh, I'm not saying the fighting. I think I'm saying phone booth fighter. <laughs> Very good. Uh, all right. Thanks to everybody for uh, being a part of this one, and uh, we'll see you guys right back here next week for another edition of Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with.